It's the Ambiguously Blind Podcast with your host, a guy that's great up hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, hey, hey. Greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in and subscribing. In addition to your subscription, another great way to help the podcast is to rate or write a review wherever you find us. So most commonly, the place would be at Apple Podcasts. So in your app or at the website, there's a place to leave a star rating and any kind of feedback you like. We, of course, appreciate any kind of feedback we can get. And we like those five-star reviews. They help the podcast get on more screens and in front of more eyes and give us better opportunities to find people and for people to find us. For conversations like this one with another good friend of mine, Rob Sherrard, Rob is a technological genius, among other things, and is the uh, leader of my technology support network. So it's always great to visit with Rob, and it seems like we talk technology most often. So we're going to talk about our friendship based in technology and his journey from the Dallas area through Colorado and Washington, and then all the way back to the Dallas area and the successful entrepreneurial venture that he is in with Nimbix. So let's just have at it. Rob, thanks a bunch for joining the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we've talked about doing this for quite some time, and here we are finally getting it done. Yes, we are. Right. Yeah. Huge buildup. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I need to make sure to get all of my ums out uh, to, to minimize your sort of uh, post-edit or, or post-production. Yeah, I just want know, to say a bunch of ums to, right now. just want to get right, it out of the um, way. Um, 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 right. Cool. All right. So let's kind of go back a little bit of in time. I say a little bit to make myself feel better about how old we are. But uh, <laughs> technology's kind of been the tie that has bound us in our friendship for uh, quite some time now. I want to say, do you remember what year it was when we became acquaintances? Yeah, it's unfortunately, I guess, as you know, as a result of, of, of getting older, you know, it could have been late 99, 2000 timeframe. Uh, I, Certainly, I think before 2000, but um, it's a little gray. It's fuzzy. been a solid 20 years then, at least. Yeah. Probably I closer think so. to 21. Yeah. Yep. And technology is certainly the tie that has bound us. Yes. And absolutely. You know, in, in my <laughs> circle, in my, in my circle, I am kind of the technology guy. So people call me, like my family mm. and friends call me about things. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Okay. Yeah. And what's you, you might find that amazing because I call you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Yeah. Uh, walk me, walk me, help me out here. How, how does this work? So, yeah. um, it was back in the, uh, college days for me mm-hmm. and it was our, our mutual friend, RJ cuts. You remember, uh, Ronald Joseph. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good guy. And uh, you visited us. I think you were living in Seattle at the time, were you not? Yeah, I think, again, depending on the year. Um, yeah, m- more than likely, I was I was either in Colorado and, and transitioning to, to Seattle. Um, one, one of the two, m- most likely Seattle at that point. Yeah, I think I remember, did RJ accompany you from your move to Colorado <laughs> to, to Washington? Yeah, he did actually. Yeah, okay. so, I, so it was I guess just I'm, yeah, it was just after that. I, I remember that happening. Okay. Yeah. So that 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 would have been ninety ninety nine. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 
And you came to visit us, and we were just, you know, dinking around like college kids do. And um, you, I don't know, we immediately started talking about technology, and mm-hmm. it was kind of all, 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 was, all was history at that point. And one, the thing that I remember among, uh, there's several things that I remember, but kind of pointedly, I remember one of the things that I thought was so cool. I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty much a nerd. We've, we've been, I think we were brought up on technology similarly earlier in life, but I remember, I remember one of the things that happened was, um, when you visited us, we were doing all these, we did some network, you were bringing in networking, network architect, architecture and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And we had a, we were living in a, in a house there was three of us. We were all independently working through the internet or whatever. And you're like, Hey, you guys can be networked together. You know, this is, this could work together. (laughs) And one of the things that was, was so cool about that, as I remember was I was, I was after you had visited one time, I was at the library at the, on the campus of Texas tech university. And I was able to connect to my, to our house and I printed mm. on my brother's printer in his bedroom. Right. Like some... Right. It's a bit of like a hello world type yeah, thing. Something like that. Yeah. Something like right. I'm watching you or right. something along those lines. And that it's mm-hmm. like the Eureka. I'm like, whoa, that's so awesome. <laughs> right. Uh, but that's that's kind of where it started for, for you and I. But prior to that, were you, what, what does your technology start? Were you an Apple guy to begin with? Yeah, I I seem to recall in, in the very early early days, you know, I think, you know, we briefly touched on this, you know, kind of pre-call. It it feels like probably around I mean, I guess, you know, depending on how far back you want to go, right? I mean, I I I think I really became enamored with tech uh with with the 2600, my 2600 Atari. Um that yes, and, and yes. actually that's, and that's the signature you know, on your email. Yes. Right. It is. Right. Yeah. So I think that's how it all started and, and playing, um, you know, a variety of games, you know, classic, you know, pitfall. Uh, um, so, so the love and, and passion of tech um, started around that 2600 and, and uh, evolved, I think, you know, into or to Nintendo and, and, and Apple, you know, Apple IIe, Apple IIc, you know, around that team, uh, same similar time frame as well. Um, and, and a lot of that exposure, you know, I probably would have been second, third, fourth grade ish time frame for me. Now, was that all at school that you saw that stuff or was any of that at home? The, um, the, the Apple IIc, Apple IIe the stuff? Apple, yeah, all of the Apple uh, product products at that time would have been uh, exposure uh, at, at school. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think... I had a PC at home until probably maybe seventh grade ish, sometime around there. Yeah, well, I I mean, correctly, the Atari Twenty Six Hundred that that was kind of a game changer too. I can still remember the commercial for that. Mm. It had a video system with classics galore, from Space Invaders to Cars That Roar. I mean, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> right. to sing the whole, it was like, it was a song. They had a song for that commercial. Right. And uh, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm going to spare everyone my singing, but I certainly can remember that. And for me, 
Um, I can remember in fifth, uh, in middle school for me, which would have been sixth or seventh grade, we had a computer lab and it was all Apple stuff. So we were doing Apple two C and then E would have been the next one. Mm-hmm. And even at home, pretty close to that time, we would have moved to the, I don't know when the Max Macintosh started when it was called back then Macintosh. They had the whole word. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But we had a Mac, I think it was called a Power Mac at home. And you had the, of course, you had the CD ROMs and stuff, which are like, there's an entire encyclopedia on this disc. It's like, wow. I was like, three discs, maybe. It's like, wow, mm-hmm. that's so cool, you know? Yeah, actually, a little known story. Well, um, probably little known now, but um, I, I think what's interesting is a throwback to the 2600 is that. Um, you know, that the, the 2600 is a, is a frequency and Hertz and, and, and sort of what's interesting there is, um, uh, you and or your listeners can, can go and look, but, um, th- there used to be back in the, the day, um, there was a whistle that was included in Captain Crunch cereal that you could use to emulate that frequency uh, and, and hurts and, and, and actually trick the signaling system to provide you with free long distance calls. So there's a little bit of a tie to the captain crunch hack and really? the, the, the Atari crowd. Yeah. It's, with, it's kind of interesting. With the 2600. And yeah. Not necessarily with the 2600. It's a bit of a throwback to the, the Atari 2600, but the 2600 is meaningful to the extent that it's a frequency and Hertz that was used to hack old AT&T phone systems. I gotcha. Um, And and there's a very prolific hacking group back in the day called, you know, the 2600 meetups and things like that. So it's, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting, um, you know, how that, that came about. Was that part of the, in, in the Steve's Steve Jobs biography, was that one of the things they did? One of the Uh, early things that him and Wozniak had done was, Oh, Somehow. I'm, 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 I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, not to sidetrack too much, but, you know, I think back in my, you know, pre very young adolescent days, I mean, having what was known, I, I was very much a prototypical nerd in that sense and, and running bulletin boards from the house over dial up with, with various PCs, but also, you know, in the spare time using um, very simplistic programs that you could either write or acquire, but that were called war dialers. And that's simply where you would plug in a range of, of, of numbers. And this was kind of back in the day, kind of before you had to dial, you know, the area code, right? So, and uh, you, you simply would, would provide a range of numbers. Your PC would dial those overnight. You'd go to bed and in effect, uh, it would dial all of these numbers and then provide output for you for that when you woke up in the morning, you would see that, okay, well, a, a machine or a modem specifically would answer. Uh, so then if you were curious, you could then go back and, and you know, redial that number that picked up and then try to, you know, to interface with that device, you know, on the other end. So this was back in the day when you know corporate networks or non-corporate networks or just other entities that that literally had their you know modem connected to you know a server or a pc that you know 
was was answerable and then you know used as a means to you know interface with with those devices no modem you may lose most of our audience here with that (laughs) right (laughs) right yeah Yeah, or whatever it was back in those days or yeah even 1200 baud or 800 baud yeah yeah (laughs) so yeah (laughs) kind of in those late 90s days you Mm -hmm. were already on your technology journey i believe it um, was, yes. Yeah, you were working yeah. in the Dallas area with uh, what? Did you have some dealings with AudioNet? Yeah, that um, that that was. Um, I, I guess chronologically was probably my third job. Um, so I guess maybe backing up a little bit. So shortly, you know, after graduating high school, it had you know became clear to me that. I certainly had a passion for, for technology. And while I, I certainly evaluated options as related to college, um, it became clear to me that the path and the things that I wanted to do simply weren't available in, in kind of a college setting or, or material. Um, so I almost immediately after graduating high school, I, I went into um, I guess you could say, you know, the workforce. Um, and, and just prior to joining uh, AudioNet, so AudioNet became Broadcast.com, which is a, a co-founded and started by uh, Mark Cuban and Todd Wagner. So I'll maybe get to that in a second. But I, I think what was interesting was I was probably 19 years old and I was working for a gaming company uh, in the Richardson area by the name of seventh level. And I, I came in, I was probably 18 or 19 years old. I was a game tester, uh, literally, you know, literally, uh, w- was being paid to play games. And, and when not, when I wasn't game testing, um, I, I was doing tech or technical support for those games and not so much from like a cheat code perspective, but as you can imagine, this was back in the time when games you would, you know, the, the games were on a CD-ROM as kind of the media, right? So then you, you had sound cards and you had modems. So frequently dealing with, you know, driver related issues as it relates to sound customer calls. Hey, I don't have any sound on my sound card. Okay. Right. So that's, that, 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 that was kind of the typical type issue, right? Whether it was sound card or, or modem driver issues. And, um, I was doing that and, and, and had a great time doing that. And I, back when people still read newspapers, um, I'm pretty sure it was the Dallas Morning News. There was an ad in the paper. I forget exactly what it said. And uh, something along the lines of, hey, uh, young company, uh, I don't know if even the word startup was, was used, but it was something along the lines again of, you know, young company. And we're we're streaming college sports games online, looking for junior tech resource or something like that. Uh, And then there was a phone number, I think. Uh, So I called, I responded. I think I got a call back within a few days. I'm not even sure. I think I had a cell phone at that point. I'm pretty sure I did. And I talked to the HR 
person. And then I was given an address on Elm Street um, in Deep Ellum. So I, I go down there and I show up and it's, it's, it's an apartment and uh, 2929 Elm Street and that apartment it's a large, you know, that, that building is actually still there and it's still owned by Mark. Um, and it was his apartment and it had two sides. So I showed up at, at the apartment for an interview and I met a guy by the name of Kevin Smith. Um, he ultimately was the one that hired me and, um, we went to a coffee shop and deep Ellum and kind of ran through a few things. The next day I got a call and then I, I started within, you know, two weeks after that. But, uh, that was, a you know, certainly, an interesting time in my life and uh, had no idea um, you know, what AudioNet or Broadcast.com would, would become, let alone, you know, what, what Mark would subsequent to that go on yeah, to do, but huge. Yeah. Working out of the apartment and one side was at one point a basketball court uh, that we then changed and converted into more or less a server room, you know, adding capacities to, mm-hmm. you know, encode decode you know all of these various audio streams from various you know colleges or radio stations around the united states yeah and i think crazy i think we've talked before one of the one of the things that really i thought was interesting about that was in the summer of 1997 there Mm -hmm. was um in the dallas fort worth area there was uh, there were two concerts there was one called rock fest and one called country fest and they were mm-hmm. both at the Texas Motor Speedway, which was just in the course of being built at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was, they were both huge concerts. There were, there would be like, I don't know. They, they were, it was one week after the next country fest was like this week. And then rock fest was the next week. Mm-hmm. And the names that were there were huge names. And there was like, five or six huge names um, for for this concert that basically went on from early morning to end of the day. I didn't go to Country Fest, but I do know that George Strait was there. Pretty sure yeah. that... It's, it's a big name. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that... <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm having I'm some not. country music memory issues right now, but I... <laughs> I can't remember all the names. I, I didn't okay. go to Country Fest. I wasn't that into country music, but I did go to Rock Fest, which was the next week. And that, that, well, Bush, that Bush was the headliner. So this would have been oh, 97. Wow. And that was kind of the peak of their prowess. That's, that's probably pre-Gwen. Well, no, I, that's, I think, when it no? started because Gwen, no doubt, was okay. right before Bush. They She played yeah. right before Bush. Okay. So Bush all was right. the headliner. And then no doubt... And there were other bands there. I mean, there was, I was there most of the day and it was a mm. long day, as you might imagine. What, what, uh, uh, what, what time of year was this? Summer. So uh, June or July, a little, little, little warm. It was warm. Yeah. Uh, we had a group of like, I don't know. There was probably at least a dozen of us. We, we took a bus. We, we rented the bus. <laughs> Wow. Okay. And at that time, the stadium was just the uh, speedway was just being built, and it was hmm. the roads weren't really capable of, of handling that kind of traffic um, out there just yet. So I can remember being <laughs> we we had a bus. There was a, again, there was probably at least twelve of my friends, and somebody had 
coordinated the bus or whatever, and there was a there was a TV on the bus, and I do recall we were watching Roadhouse, the movie. <laughs> Just probably on an loop. old CRT of some yeah. sort or tube right. tube TV. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. And we watched Roadhouse, and we rode out to Texas Motor Speedway for the concert. Wow. And we, I mean, th- there were the cars were backed up. I mean, we were sitting in traffic, and just mm-hmm. it was it was terrible getting there and terrible getting out. But the concert was was phenomenal, and uh, I think Cannon Crows were there, Bush, no doubt, and I'm trying to remember the name of the other one, uh, Collective Soul was there. Um, those are the ones that come to mind quickly. And those were all bands that I was really into at the time. So, so my, I brought, I brought this all up because I'm pretty sure that audio net broadcast mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. show on the internet to which at that point I had, I really had no idea what the internet was in mm-hmm. 1997, but apparently it was on the internet. So maybe that, maybe there's a recording of that out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there is. Yeah. That would have been, you know, certainly one of the concerts, uh, one of the first or early concerts that that they uh, did and that they streamed uh, onto the internet. Yeah, well, that was an awesome concert. So if it's still yeah. out there, I would just I, w- I would uh, any anybody should go check it out. But I, that might have been when Gwen and Gavin got together. That that might have been mm-hmm. the the concert that that brought that union together. But anyway, right? Okay, all right. But after that, you ended up making your way northwest, and you ended up with uh, Microsoft. How did that? Yeah, I mean, I think they're. Yeah, I think they're. You know, I. I, (laughs) It's you know interesting, and and maybe for another time, you know, kind of post broadcast or audio net, I spent some time in. Colorado for a another interesting startup, um, you know, kind of unoriginal. The, the The company name started out as MSFDC, so just M as in Mary S FDC, kind of pretty generic. And that was really a that was a joint venture between Microsoft and a company called First Data Corp, and 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 uh, both are still around for state of corp really kind of backend banking kind of clearing house for, you know, visa mastercard for the, the clearing house from, from a credit card transaction standpoint. And, you know, uh, what, what's interesting about that is that this was probably around 98 and, and, um, that that was the first we we created the first one of the first as somebody might yell or comment that no, no 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 we were the first but so I'll caveat with one of the first and that was for online bill pay uh what what we called online um bill presentation of that bill and then payment of that bill so prior to that you couldn't bill online bill pay right so that that really kind of came came about in, in, you know, the late, late nineties. So online bill pay and in its infancy, um, a lot of the, I think it's also a time to remember that online banking wasn't very prevalent at that time. So that, that was very new. So you're having to corral banks and 
you know, I think initially we had started with utility providers and then that slowly morphed into, to others. Uh, but, um, I think what was interesting there, and I'll, I'll kind of get to the, you know, the other part of Microsoft in terms of my career, but because it was a joint venture, I was an employee of, of first data corp. And so they had significant operational expertise uh, in the financial markets and Microsoft being Microsoft, exceptional, a lot of expertise in writing software. Um, so the two coming together seemed to make a lot of sense. Always a bit of an interesting dynamic, you know, being a non-Microsoft employee and being a First Data Corp employee and vice versa. And I think, again, I was probably 20, 21 years old. I had just relocated from effectively Plano, Texas to Denver, Colorado. And the joint venture seemingly was going pretty well. You know, we had some prototypes, we had some beta customers, the, the service itself, it ran out of Denver. Um, a lot of the there's another one. Product development was was out of Redmond, Washington, which is HQ for for Microsoft. And I think at one point, probably within six months, maybe four to six months of 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 getting up there, I recall uh, a few senior team members flying in from Redmond, and they had come in and said. Um, this joint venture and the way that it's structured, it's not really working well. And, and we're taking over more uh, effectively more of the piece of the pie. And if, if you want your job interviews start again tomorrow. So that, that was kind of interesting. I'd never really been a part of something like that. So you got a chance to meet with the Bob's. exactly (laughs) and this this was pre-bobs okay so i I don't think the bobs came out until what maybe 99 perhaps so um yeah this is certainly pre-bobs but the concept uh, was the same i imagine very much the same very very much the same yes it's very analogous to that so i I think I was maybe even still in corporate housing at that point. And look, mind you, I'm, I'm probably 20 or 21 at that point. And I, I don't even think all of my stuff from Plano, not that I had a ton of stuff, but I, I think that was still in route. And I, so that next day I came, I come in and I, I re-interview for, my my job and uh i got it back (laughs) so um and um and so i guess what was interesting then was following getting my job back which i was i was pumped i was excited (laughs) Um, sure i the the next day they came in and said oh by the way you got to move to Seattle. You're, you're, almost. So the job is in Redmond, but you're still an employee of FDC, but you're now going to be working out of Redmond. 
And the expectation is that you're there Monday through Friday um, and you can come home Saturdays and Sundays. So to me, there was quite a bit of excitement. So I, I did a hundred percent of travel at that point for close to eight months um, where in fact I was addressed uh, in, in Denver, Colorado my checks came from FDC, uh, but for all intents and purposes, at that point, I was a contractor um, to, to Microsoft. And <laughs> there is a bit of a hierarchy when you're working at the mothership. And, and that hierarchy is really kind of dependent upon, you know, are you a vendor to Microsoft? Are you a contractor to Microsoft? Or are you a full-time employee? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so you're sort of viewed a little bit differently depending on where you're at, you know, in that hierarchy. And, and for me, I was what is known as an A-dash, which is a kind of a, a, a contractor at that point. And um, so, yeah, I, I literally spent that no- next eight months of my life traveling 100% of the time. And there were times, you know, I had a, an apartment in Denver at that point, but where I wouldn't go home for weeks sometimes upwards of a month and I would just stay in the Redmond area in a hotel, um, all paid for, you know, as a part of the joint venture. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we subsequent or during that time we launched, you know, the service with an immense amount of success with customers and partners. And it was wildly, uh, successful, but it was also during that time, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine, but growing up, in Plano, um, getting up to the Pacific Northwest. I mean, it was, it was mind blowing. (laughs) It's just, it's incredibly different up there. And I knew, I I think at that point, I didn't want to continue to operate or or to work in that capacity, especially, you know, splitting my time And, and sure there was an opportunity to move to Seattle as a part of the reorg, but I knew that I didn't really want to be a contractor um, so it was at that point, kind of in and around that eight month time frame of, of traveling back and forth, the startup scene in Seattle w- was, was crazy. Just when I say startup, but specifically tech startup and, and it was, it was going nuts. So think of Amazon, you know, in 97, 96, you know, that just the early heydays and, and just a lot of, of you know, fantastic companies have, have really come out of Seattle, whether it's Starbucks or Microsoft or Amazon or you name it. Right. So great ecosystem. And I interviewed on a lunch break uh, at a startup by the name of Avenue A. And, and, and that was, uh, again, a very early infancy to online advertising. Um, so they were blazing new ground uh, daily I interviewed, got a call. Hey, we'd love you to join the team. I said, fantastic. I'd love to join. I, just interesting. I I gave notice um, to both Microsoft and my employer for StataCorp at that time. And within, and I was in a data center or a lab tucked away, kind of hidden on the Microsoft campus. And within about an hour, uh, security came in, escorted me out. They put me on a plane back to Denver. And then that's when RJ and I moved. He helped me move from from Denver to Seattle. Hmm. So 
kind of, I guess that's then when we kind of started to meet at that point. Just to back up a minute, were you traveling from Denver to Redmond by air or was this by car? Yeah. By no, by, by plane. Yeah. 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 So it was literally, you know, hundred percent for about eight months. But you ended up back with MSFT. Did you not? I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. Because they probably uh, acquired subs- Avenue A or something along those lines or something. Yeah, they did. I um You just Avenue couldn't get away A, from Microsoft. Right. It's it's Much incredibly hard when you're right. Yeah, it's incredibly <laughs> hard to, to get away from them when you're in the Pacific Northwest. I so I actually ended up there two additional times, but not by acquisition, but by choice. But yeah, I, I later went back to to Microsoft uh twice. <laughs> so and then kind of really fast forwarding my last job prior to starting Nimbix about 11 years ago, I was at Microsoft and, and left to start Nimbix. And you were doing a lot of media stuff at that time, right? With Microsoft. Cause that's another thing that we had a yeah. lot in common was I was big into media. Yeah. That, that second time when I went back to Microsoft and kind of the, a one time frame i uh was uh, an engineer for windows media working out of the uh, redmond uh, campus yeah and that kind of connected with me too because i was that was when i was uh, i'm a music collector and i was big into yeah. media and, and mp3s and that was kind of the beginning of the whole napster days and all those things so <laughs> ripping mm-hmm. cd's and burning cd's if you know people even know what that means anymore but yeah. Um, yeah. So we had a lot, a lot to talk about there too. Yeah. I think certainly have, have grown to appreciate your, your love or your passion of, of your music library, you know, which is impressive and then just your, your attention to detail and then the thought that, that goes into, you know, effectively curating all of that content. I mean, yeah. I, I, I waste it's, a lot. It's of, massive. I waste a it's lot of time massive. on that. Right. It, it continues yeah. to grow. And it's one of those things where I, uh, I've, I've, and you've been a part of these too, is where I've had to move them from. Yeah. It's disc tense. To it's disc intense. Or yeah. platform to platform and mm-hmm. all these things where I get real nervous because I'm not sure I, I want to make sure everything's going to be maintained. But, you know, I, I switched years ago, probably in the mid 2000s from Windows Media Player to iTunes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, iTunes blows away Windows Media Player. At least it did back in those days. I'm sure it still does. But yep. um, the the iTunes biosphere, whatever you want to call it, is pretty good. And I I've got a lot of data in mine, a lot of playlists, a lot of all you know mm. metrics and all these play counts and all those kind of things. And so I'm actually getting ready to do that again. Because I'm I'm getting ready world to move back into the world of the um, to Apple. I've been mm-hmm. I've been on PC since probably when I was in college in the early days. I actually when I arrived at college, I came with a Power Mac or a Macintosh or something like that uh, in my dorm room. Mm-hmm. And then when I got when I got bacterial meningitis mm-hmm. and had the vision change that I had most of the computer training that I had was all based on PC and right. software that was around a PC. So I just overnight switched from Apple to PC and that's been upwards of 20 years now. 
And although I've been in the iPhone, iPod, iPad, all those realms, I've just never gone back from PC to Mac, but I were, have a, were you were you iPhone before iPod or iPod first then the I, iPhone? I was iPod first, yeah, because the Do you know which thing, gen you had yeah, first? It was a it was a nano. Okay. And it was the first I think it was the first nano, or maybe it was the second or third one, but whichever one it was, it was the first one that Apple included voiceover on. So okay. um they the nano, well, I may I may have that wrong because they had the shuffle too, and the shuffle had voiceover built in. I think the nano came out first, but yeah. I mean, it, like the second that I heard, there was a you know, and this happened with you too, with the iPhone. Mm-hmm. But when I when I heard that the nano had uh, assistive technology on it, I either went to Amazon or went to Best Buy or somewhere immediately, and I had one within hours of knowing this and it was just it was just it was just awesome and the nano had a little screen on it so you could kind of see some things um the the shuffle had no screen which was fine for me because i didn't need to see it anyway but it had voiceover built in and i could totally maneuver all the way through all those things okay so voiceover just from from a menu driven standpoint yeah okay gotcha and then it was you called make a lot of sense yeah, you called me one day or emailed me or texted me. I, we, we wouldn't have texted me because I couldn't do that. But <laughs> you, you, you're like, hey, did you know that the iPhone 3GS has got voiceover on it? I said, no. And then I don't know if, if you remember. I, I remember this um, clearly. We went to an AT&T store. I was with another carrier, and I, I had to. I actually got a second cell phone plan. Uh, with a, your burner phone. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> because I had had a contract on my old one. I couldn't get out of it. Right. So I, right. for, for about six months, I had two phones. And I mean, I was I was pretty cool anyway, right? Yeah, but I mean, that's... The, the iPhone know. 3GS had voiceover built in. And like, man, I have not looked back since. The the old phone I had, I, I, I probably turned it like on like once or twice. And Walter then, White and your, your two phones. Ex- exactly. One for this and one for that, you know. Right. Yeah. And my phone, I, I was able to transfer my uh, number after about six months, and then I've been rocking and rolling with the iPhone ever since. And there is zero reason to look back. I've talked to people about Android so, and other things. Yeah. But... So three GS. So what that would have been? That was the 08? third one. Eight. That was oh nine. Oh nine. Okay. It was like All September right. of two thousand nine. So they had there was the iPhone and then the iPhone 3G, and then the iPhone okay. 3GS. Okay. Oh, the S, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So that would have been 09, for sure. Oh, it, it was September of 09. I can tell you exactly. Yep. Yeah. And those were that was a good time. It took like yeah, it took I, like a couple of hours to just kind of understand what it was going on. Maybe not even that mm-hmm. now, but after that, mm-hmm. it was yeah. Yeah, I 07. You know, was was when the first iPhone came out and I, I still <clears throat> remember I went to an AT&T store in uh, Redmond, Washington to, to no fanfare whatsoever. <laughs> sure. Well, why, I mean, why just... would, why would any Apple product be in Redmond, uh, Washington be, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, I'm sure you, I'm yeah. not surprised you even did that with no, maybe I mean, your job it, or something. 
Yeah, thankfully at the time I was not at Microsoft at at that point in time. I was with another. I yet again moved back into the startup world, uh, and I was working for a company called The Platform. But yeah, I was an iPhone user. I mean, I, I at one point I went back to Microsoft in. 09 time frame and i was very very much a closeted iphone user um yeah. it was not but, not good to sure. be uh, an apple user because, at that well, time at, at that time i mean not only apple but they also had their own mobile operating system they had windows mobile like yeah, 2.0 so they, or 3.0 or something and i mean yeah that they just, had it was they terrible had, yeah, they had Windows CE for a while. They had, and then they had uh, uh, Windows Mobile. Um, they had kind of a fragmented play with uh, with uh, their Zune player, which was a, a bit yeah, like an iPod. I remember that. Yeah. So, but it was heavily fragmented just from a ecosystem standpoint, having an effect three, you know, at least three different, you know, kind of operating systems all kind of trying to converge and drive towards the same thing, you know, when, when iPhone was, you know, far superior, but, um, yeah, I traded, I don't know if trades the right word, but I, I, prior to my iPhone, I was a, a Blackberry user for a little while. Yeah. I think, I think everybody was, uh, prior to, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) right. Poor Blackberry. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I literally walked into that store and, um, again with with little to no fanfare it was in the evening it was raining of course seattle and uh picked it up and knew almost right away that that was it was going to be a game changer yeah and it was do you still have that i do yeah yeah <laughs> it's made of yeah. um is it, it's metal the phone yeah. is it not yeah aluminum yeah or? i yeah, it's 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 uh, aluminum. Yeah, so I actually kept that. I mean, I still have it, but I I kept that in use until the four came out or four S. No, I can um, remember that because I would we yeah. would do things together, and I'd have my three GS, mm-hmm. and you'd have the you know the original iPhone, and you're like, yeah, I can't. Um, <laughs> surf and talk at the same time or you know is this that's right like, yeah mean, what what you had <laughs> at the time you had it was like revolutionary right but the second or yeah. third iterations of it were you know just multiples of, mm-hmm. of revolutionary so yeah i i think i just became so dang partial to it i, I just couldn't mm-hmm. let it go sure yeah great great fantastic device and I think if, after you decided to move from the whatever, I guess, BlackBerry that you had before, whatever other devices you had, to the iPhone, and you've progressed through the all the iPhone iterations, of course. But uh-huh. you also made a change in your computing days from, from a guy that works at Microsoft uh, yeah. now, and, and you've progressed through the, through the Apple ecosystem too, right? You're a, you're a, you're a MacBook guy now. Yeah. Really yeah, I've back. been per- no, yeah, I mean I, I I think I've, you know, again kind of a throwback to, you know, the early early days was predominantly Apple for for a period of time and then kind of came back to Apple uh in that 07 time frame, you know, with with the purchase of of the iPhone. It's not abundantly clear, I think in in retrospect what pushed me back to to apple from from a 
you know, PC or laptop. Uh, I think it's partly could have been around career and, and, you know, windows. So in terms of what I do or historically have done for, for work, uh, you know, scripting and or automation, has, has been a, a large part of my career. And, and that's traditionally been a little bit, not so much nowadays. Uh, so, you know, to, to the windows fans that are, that are out there, but, you know, scripting had been relatively hard or more of a difficult task uh, on the windows platform, fell in love with the iPhone, you know, in effect, Mac OS um, it, it's think of it as a flavor of, of Linux um, and, you know, Linux and that kind of that similar time frame really came to, to my forefront professionally, especially in the context of startup where startups were kind of uh, sidetracking here a little bit. But, you know, Linux is, is free, um, whereas, you know, Windows or Windows Server, you know, there, there's licensing fees, right? So it, it, it makes sense. Uh, you know, from a startup standpoint, that that Linux is kind of the, you know, the choice uh, when when operating large, you know, server farms, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I think for me, uh, Mac OS, an extension or flavor of, of Linux, and it just made sense. And again, just the ease of use and uh, what would eventually become, you know, a similar experience and being in that ecosystem, or as we like to say, the walled garden of Apple. It, it it just makes sense and and yeah so from from 07 until today it's it's been mac macbook desktop macbook air macbook pros all sorts of different types in your daily working life how often are you on a windows or in a windows environment almost never yeah i mean i occasionally there there are some gaps you know from a tooling perspective um a, a common tool that i would use was a, a tool by the name of visio um that allows you to build kind of uh topology maps or or diagrams of, of various things and there was a little bit of a gap uh just from a mac standpoint that i mean that that gap has been closed um, but that, that would have been one of the only times, um, I would have picked up, you know, a windows PC occasionally for, for other management type functionality, trying to interface with like maybe a switch or a router, which are pieces of, you know, networking equipment. Uh, sometimes you would pick up a windows PC or not necessarily PC, but a laptop to, to, uh, configure those devices. But I mean, I, I, I would think that 99% of my usage is, is Mac OS. And there's usually no issues with that either. You're totally open. There. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I am. You could also uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you could also run windows on a Mac for a, I mean, I don't know if that's still the case. Yeah. I use a product called virtual box, um, that allows me. So, um, occasionally again, based on kind of tooling requirements. And when I say tooling requirements, it's really tools that allow me to do my job. So virtual box allows me to run virtual machines in my Mac. So I could run, you know, various flavors of Linux on my MacBook, And I can also run windows on, 
my MacBook as well. Um, and it used to be up until recently, if you really wanted to, you could use bootcamp on your Mac to, in a sense or in effect, have a, a dual boot system where you could run Windows or Mac OS. However, that is not going to be possible, to my knowledge, on the M1, which I think you have in flight. Yeah, I've heard that too. The bootcamp is not going to work. Right. And that's, I am moving into the M1, into the Mac Mini. Uh, that's mm-hmm. pretty, I'm pretty excited about that. And I don't, I, this, this will probably be a, you know, similar experience for me to, to you where I probably don't look back. At least that's what I'm mm-hmm. hoping. But, um, I just don't know. I don't really know what I don't know. Uh, because of uh, voiceover is tremendous. I mean, I have nothing bad to say about voiceover. There's a little, there's some hiccups and things here and there, but mm-hmm. you know, by and large, it is phenomenal. And I use that. 95% of the time I'm using my iPhone or an iPad. And for me with the visual impairment, because the mm-hmm. screen is small, I can't usually can't, can't see it anyway. So it, I just use the full power of uh, voiceover. But when it comes to the computing power of a, um, a machine like that and, and mm-hmm. with larger screens, I rely heavily on magnification and less on the speech part. Sure. And yep. so when it comes, to, which is why I'm so comfortable in the PC world with the software I use ZoomText, which yep. I really, I just, I really dislike ZoomText. They've made some changes over the years and there's some, it's the, the product itself has improved, but there's been some things that have changed that I just, there's been some what, things what's that, that What's that feedback loop like for you to them? Have you attempted yeah, anything there? there? There's some things that have changed that, just i i don't they so the company itself has changed hands a few times and okay. it, it keeps getting moved to larger they keep getting bought by larger um, mm-hmm. um groups and the which would make the feedback i would think um easier to come by because mm-hmm. we're working with with larger groups of tech um support and things like that but mm-hmm. i i mean don't get me wrong they've improved the product and it is better but there are still some things where there are hiccups. There are things that just there's hangups and I just, I get frustrated by, by using it. And I was like, man, I just, if this could work like voiceover, life would be easier. But my trepidation into moving and back into the Mac OS is that I don't want to use voiceover on my larger monitor. I want to use a combination of magnification and, dictation i think is what apple would call it or just kind of a screen basically i use a screen reader in a hybrid environment i I use magnification mostly because i rely on sight Mm -hmm. for most of things but there are some things where i do rely on rely on the um, audio feedback from it so when i talk to the company that that handles zoom text now i'm trying to think of the name freedom scientific used to be okay. AI squared. And um, it, what, what happens is as, as it's continued forward, the cost has gotten more. They've changed the product into a annual, almost a s- subscription now. Right. So yep. you've got to, I mean, I got to shell out three, 400 bucks a year mm-hmm. to continue the software and to get it updated. 
And I understand that too, because things change and windows changes and they've got a, you know, there's a cost for all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So I get that. But when you switch over to the Apple environment, that's all included. Right. And it's all, yeah. all the updates and things are, are included too. And because it's the, the closed uh, garden or whatever, <laughs> whatever you just called the Apple. <laughs> what? walled garden the walled yes. garden um yep. the, the, the right. accessibility stuff's all included in the walled garden so mm-hmm. you know you're buying the mm-hmm. device but you're not also buying a three four hundred dollar per year license to use the yeah. device for me so right i don't want to use voiceover it is included in mac os of course but with with the vision that i have i don't want to use voiceover on the the screen that i will have with with the mac so I'm I'm a little nervous in the sense that I'm I'm hoping that what I think is going to happen will happen, which is that it's essentially the same thing, they just call it different thing, have different names for it, and mm-hmm. everything will be just will just be phenomenal. But the M1 is just like you know it's crazy how fast it is. It is, yeah, yeah. I mean, Apple has done a significant amount of work over the years, you know, as it relates to their custom silicon that they've been building, you know, over the last handful of years and it's it's really exciting yeah and it makes total sense for that walled garden we're talking about to get everything yeah. included so they know how it all works and they can mm-hmm. which is why windows is is tough because you're using so many different layers of of uh hardware and software and they got to make sure everything's compatible with everything and, and inside the the apple ecosystem it's all it all works because it's it's all designed by them and made by them so I, I guess yeah. this, this is the future for Apple getting away from Intel, right? Oh, it, yeah, and it, it, yeah, and that writing's been on the wall for for yeah. quite some time. I'm sure now. that's no surprise. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting though, uh, you know, especially for for Apple users, um, just in terms of you know the performance that that uh, you know these M1 based Macs are you know going to be putting in the you know into the hands of users. Well, I will have my M1 Mac in about two days as of the recording of this. And so maybe what we'll do, we have a lot more things to talk about. We have only really scratched the surface about the Apple stuff for sure, but then automation and autonomous vehicles and AI and Tesla and all kinds of other things that we were going to talk about, but we didn't. Yeah. It's, we, we've been going for a while and we haven't got to that yet. So <laughs> let's uh, let's package all that and uh, move it to the next discussion and the next time we talk I, I will have the the m1 mac and yeah and let's let's nerd out on speeds and feeds there i would love to and you know you may be involved in my media collection move from, sure. from point a to point b so it's it's again very critical for me to make sure i can <laughs> yeah we'll we'll have to run a geek bench uh during the podcast to see what uh i don't know scores. what i don't know what that is but it sounds fun let's do it let's do that thanks for spending time with the ambiguously blind podcast please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and for a complete transcript of this episode connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com <laughs>